the closer you get to Jesus and becoming a disciple of Christ, the more pain you may experience in your flesh. Because the more we're like Jesus, the more selfless we need to be. You understand that when you become a disciple of Christ, it's no longer about you. It's not about what you want, it's about what God wants. That's how we know we're getting to be more like Jesus, because there's less selfishness, uh, more selflessness, and, we, um, and we're becoming more like Christ, so it's about His kingdom and building His church and doing what He wants. We understand that, okay? Because we're going through steps. The first few were very easy. Number one was be a... Number two was be an encourager, and then talking about Jesus loves you, and then part four was... The Christianity is a logical choice. And then five, are you really saved? And after you get saved, really saved, and after you uh, get water baptized, of course, um, here's the most important point of your life. Okay, Today's point is the most important point of your entire existence, of your whole existence. Nothing else is more important than this, and I'm going to prove it to you sociologically, theologically, and psychologically. I almost made it through, and I was going to say I'm so smart towards the end, but it didn't come out right. Okay, here's step number six. Join the right church. Join the right church. The church that you join and become a member of affects every single area of your life. It affects your marriage. It affects your relationships. It affects your children. If you don't bring your kids to church, how are they going to know what is right and wrong without studying the Bible? Without having a relationship with Jesus, they're going to think whatever feels good is right and whatever feels wrong is wrong. But that could get them in prison or even in hell. If you don't bring them to church, how are they going to be able to differentiate between good and evil without having a relationship with Jesus? Uh, Joining the right church affects your finances. Joining the right church affects your moods. Joining the right church affects your leadership skills in life. Joining the right church affects whether or not you kill your co-workers or you give them grace and mercy when you come home and leave work. Joining the right church affects your thought life. For instance, none of y'all right now are having any kind of lustful thoughts. I hope not. Um... You're not having any fearful thoughts. You're not having negative thoughts. You're not having insecure thoughts. Joining the right, you know, joining the right church affects your thought life. You've got to make sure you're in the right church, in the right place. Now, I'm not saying there's bad churches. I'm just saying there's the wrong church for you. And you have to go to the church that God has called you to. Listen to this. Joining the right church affects not just your earthly life. It affects all of eternity for you. We're saved by the grace of God. We get into heaven by the grace of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. But your house in heaven, the size of it, for all of eternity, for billions of centuries, determines how well you serve the church body, the local church, the bride of Christ. Um, The job that you have for the next billion centuries in heaven determines how well you love and serve your local church body. That's biblical, what I'm telling you. Eternal rewards are based on how much you serve Jesus in your local body church. See, a lot of believers out there, they think they're mature and they've made and they're a disciple of Christ. And the whole New Testament, or two-thirds of the New Testament at least, was written to church members. Not just to Christians floating around doing their own thing. They were parts of church bodies. Um, it's very arrogant for us to think that we're going to have the same house as Billy Graham when we get to heaven. You know what's kind of sad is those churches I preached to in Jamaica, 
man, their whole life centers around their church family. Not their work, not their retirement, not their kids' education. Those things are important. But the biggest priority in their life is the church body, the body of Christ. They worship for hours. They dance. They praise. They give. They help. They serve each other. And when they get to heaven, I hate to say this, but their mansion for all of eternity is going to be bigger than some of y'all's. You know why they do all that? Because their life sucks on earth, but they know this. Earth isn't just all there is. There's billions and billions and billions forever and ever in eternity somewhere else. And what it looks like for you, even where you live in heaven is affected by how well you serve the church family. You know heaven's a city, but there's more than that. The main part of heaven, not everybody's going to get to live in the actual main city. Some of y'all are going to be outside the city. Do you know in heaven, if uh, the Bible says when you're excellent and you serve faithful your local body, that you could be ruler over ten cities in heaven. Some of y'all are going to rule over ten cities, twenty cities, two galaxies, solar systems. Some of y'all are going to have to clean the floors in some of those cities for maybe even your spouse. Don't think that you're going to get to live right next to your spouse, your spouse who sleeps in, stays at home, doesn't serve, is negative all the time, never gives. And here you're serving God. I'm sorry, y'all aren't going to be next to each other in heaven. I'm sorry. It's not, you can't go to heaven and say, well, God, I want to live next to my spouse. And God says, but you didn't serve like your spouse did. You didn't give like your spouse did. All of eternity is based on your local church. Psalms 92, 13. Being planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish. Everybody say planted. Now, if you're planted, the paint color on the walls doesn't matter because you're planted. You're not going to uproot yourself because you don't like the paint. When you're planted, if somebody sat in your favorite chair at church, it's not going to offend you because you're planted. If you're planted and somebody doesn't say hey to you on Sunday morning, it's not that big of a deal because you're planted. The opposite is true. When you're not planted in the house of the Lord, you will not flourish. So I'm going to explain this to you in a way I think you're never going to forget the rest of your life. Okay? God created places before He created people. God created the Garden of Eden and then He created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. Now they could have said, you know what, we want to move to Maine or Florida or go to Africa, whatever they wanted to do. And they could have left, but they knew that their abundance, their blessing, their relationship with God was connected to the place that God called them to be at. God created the oceans and then he made the whales and put them in the oceans. God created the land, then he created the animals and put them where he saw fit. God put the polar bear in the Arctic regions where it's cold. The polar bear can say, you know what? Some of these other polar bears, they offended me. I don't like them, so I'm going to go hang out with my grizzly bear cousin down in Florida somewhere. And the polar bear can do that, but guess what? It's not going to thrive the way God intended for it to thrive because it's not in the right place that God created for it to be. The polar bear can say, I have a lot of camel buddies that are having so much fun in the desert. They're going by the pyramids. I'm going to go hang out with them because it's exciting where they're at. The, the polar bear is not going to thrive in the desert. It'll barely survive. Here's why. It's not in the right place. Everybody say the right place. Genesis 12, 1 says this. God told Abraham to leave your relatives. Now that right there was worth some of y'all coming out of church today. That might have been God trying to speak to you. Or maybe God was speaking to one of your relatives. Leave your relatives. Go, leave your country and go to the, what's that word? 
place that I'm going to show you and I will bless you with abundant blessings. Here's what God was saying. Abraham, your abundant blessings are connected to the place where you plant yourself. You may not want to leave. You've been there for a long time. You have memories there, whatever the case may be. You can stay over here with your relatives. You can stay over here in your country. But that's not where my abundant blessings are going to be for you. They're going to be connected to you getting, getting up in faith and going to the right place that I'm going to show you. All through the Bible, God would tell people the place that he wanted them to worship at. And their whole life was centered around that. Their jobs opened up when they got to the right place of worship. Their marriages got better when they got to the right place of worship. Health came into their bodies when they got to the right place to worship. Their finances changed when they got to the place God called them to worship. Everything else just fell into place. Now, here's the thing. God didn't call everybody to worship in the same place. All through the Bible, he called them to worship different places, which is okay. But you got to learn to get to the right place. Everybody say the right place. place. The people who God called to go to a certain place and they didn't go, they spent their life struggling because they weren't in the right place. Um, In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is at the, uh, the bottom of a mountain. And um, he's just doing his own thing, messing around with the animals, you know, being a farmer. And all of a sudden he looks up and it says in verse 3 that something caught his eye. He said, I'm going to go see what's going on up there. It was a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning. And so Moses climbed up the mountain. And as soon as he got on the side of the mountain, the God of the universe spoke to him. And called him to deliver God's people out of slavery into the promised land. Moses realized, man, the God of the universe knows my name. They started a relationship. He said, man, God's got a destiny for me. He's got something he wants me to do. Why didn't God speak to him and call him and comfort him and and tell him he had a destiny for him on the bottom of the mountain? It wasn't the right place. There were other mountains all around him. Why didn't God speak to him at this one? This one looked more exciting. There was fruit trees hanging off of this mountain. There was people having a party over here on this mountain. There was something about getting to the place that God called him to worship that forever changed his life. Do you know um, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus rose from the dead, the promise was given that the Holy Spirit would come into the lives of believers. It was one of the top three greatest events of the universe that has ever taken place in our universe. Now people could be in relationship with God. The Holy Spirit, God himself, was going to live in our hearts. If we had a relationship with Jesus who died on the cross and rose again later, it was an amazing event. 500 people were told, go to the upper room and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. How many people were told? 500. Do you know how many people showed up? 120. 120 people had miracles. They were given wisdom. Their life changed so much that for the rest of their life, they always went back to the day they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell in their life. 120 were blessed. 500 could have been blessed. They got the email. They got the text. They knew what time the service was. But they said it was raining. They didn't feel like it. They had worked the night before for whatever reason. Only 120 were blessed because only 120 were in the right place. you got to get to the right place. The greatest influence in our lives is the atmosphere in which we plant ourselves. This is true biblically and scientifically. Okay, The greatest influence, let me, let me give you different words for atmosphere. Culture, society, circle of friends. 
The greatest influence in your entire life is the atmosphere in which you plant yourself. If you don't believe that, you're in, that, you're, that you are influenced greatly by your atmosphere, the next time you're on a diet and you know that you're not supposed to eat anything bad, I want you to plant yourself in Krispy Kreme, okay? Just for 30 minutes. Just tell yourself, no matter who calls, no matter what, I'm going to stay here for 30 minutes. And I want you to stand right in front of the conveyor belt as the donuts are coming off. And, this, and if you don't end up drinking one of those donuts... Within the first 10 minutes of being there, I'll give you $100. You can't do it. Here's why. Because you're, in, you're influenced by what's around you. Go to the mall when you don't have any money and you don't need anything. And just walk through the shops and see if you don't come out with three bags and a credit card that's maxed out. Because your atmosphere changes you. If you don't believe it, hang around negative people. Just get around a circle of negative people for 20 minutes. And I promise you, within 20 minutes, negative words will come out of your mouth. Why? Because you've planted yourself in the wrong place you got to plant yourself in the place that you want to uh, influence you the most. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Y'all know the story, so I won't get into too much detail. But uh, the prodigal son, he and his family, they lived in the Grand Dunes. I mean, they were loaded. They had everything. The prodigal son drove a Porsche 911 and had a red Lamborghini on the side. Everything he wanted. He knew that he had a family that loved him. He knew that he had a father that would provide for him. He knew there were people he could rely on and count on. But one day the prodigal son got a little bit arrogant, got prideful, decided that he wanted to make it all about him. So he demanded that his dad give him his inheritance. And he took his money and he went and left the Grand Dunes, left his family, left his father's house, and he went and hung out on the boulevard. And here he is on the boulevard for several days. He hung out with some prostitutes, hung out with some gamblers, thieves, liars. And do you know that the prodigal son, the dude that lived, he had a, his driver's license said Grand Dunes. Yet he was on the side of the road on the boulevard eating animal food for lunch. Now, if any of you in here, you saw one of our family members here in church. You're going to, let's say you're going to the beach. You pass by the boulevard. You see one of us on the side of the road eating dog food. You would stop and say, what are you doing? Don't you know you got a family that loves you? Don't you know you got people that want to support you and help you? Don't you know we don't want you eating dog food? We'll take care of you. And they say, no, this is all I have. It's not all you have. What happened to you? What happened? What's wrong? You know what was wrong? His environment changed him. He got confused as to who he was. Here he's thinking he's trash. He's not trash. He's not poor. He's got a rich family. His environment affected everything about him. He ended up going back home saying, if I could just serve in my father's house, at least I'll just be a slave. His dad said, what are you doing? You got a family. You got people that love you. I'm telling you, if you, you know the phrase, the wrong place at the wrong time? You know that phrase? You know how many people are in jail because they were at the wrong place at the... If that phrase is true, then this phrase should be equally true. You can get to the right place at the right time. And the right place for most of y'all was 9.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And don't you let anything, anything, emotions, lack of energy, whatever, don't let anything, unless you're sick as a dog or out of town, you should be in the right place at the right time. Some of y'all are thinking, you know what, John Paul, God can bless me anywhere. I love God and He's my Father and He can just bless me wherever I'm at. If you think that statement is true, then tomorrow morning when it's time for school, and your kid says, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go hang out on the boulevard today. 
You say, I will beat your tail if you don't go to school. Well, Mom, God can bless me anywhere. I'll, wherever I go, God will bless me. I'm a child of God. I can go wherever I want to go. You see the foolishness behind that? You would, that's what you would do. Then we'd have to call us. We'd have to pray for you afterwards because you beat your kid to death. Okay. Here are some excuses that I've heard over the years for why people don't come to church. Ready? I don't like the paint color. I don't like the service times. I don't want to get wet in the rain. That's, I love hearing that one. To make you, okay. I have family in town. Now, okay. You really want to get me so upset. Tell me you ain't coming to church because you got family or friends in town. If you miss serving God because you have family or friends in town, that is the worst witness you could possibly be for Jesus Christ to tell them, you mean more to me than Jesus and my church family. I am going to not do what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. If you do that, that person will never serve God wholeheartedly because there will be something in the back of their mind that tells them they are more powerful than God is in your life. They have become your Lord whenever you put any person, even your spouse, when you get to heaven and Jesus says, how come you didn't serve my family, feed my sheep? How come you weren't part of Well, my wife didn't want to go to church. You're going to let all eternity be affected by some negative spouse that wants to stay home and watch Oprah all day long? Tell your husband to turn that off and come to church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Where am I at? Okay, here's another one. Oh, I, oh yeah, I have family in town. I think the church just wants my money. I don't like organized religion. Okay, you like organized the government, you know, your taxes, your social security, the restaurants you eat at, the educational system your children go to, the job you work at. But when it comes to church, you don't like things to be organized. I don't even understand that. Here's the next one. I'm an introvert. Yeah, God, the personality that you gave me prevents me from doing what your word says. I would obey you, but you gave me the wrong personality. I think they're all hypocrites. That's a good one. I'm not going to serve God because these people are hypocrites. Yeah. I'm too discouraged. I'm too messed up. I work on Sundays. I'm too tired. Sunday's my only day to sleep in. What is the root word of all these excuses? Ah. ah, that is the opposite of being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, I want to get to heaven and live with you for all of eternity. I'm not perfect, but you are a perfect God, so I need someone to sacrifice their life for me because the wages of sin is death. God, can you please send somebody to die on a cross, to raise again later, to go into hell and defeat the enemy for me so I can be with you? And Jesus says, I would, but I'm an introvert. I would, but I don't want to get wet. It's going to rain. I don't want to because most of the people I'm going to die for are hypocrites. So I'm just going to stay up in heaven where I'm worshiping and adored. Jesus got up on Sunday morning, not from his comfortable bed in his air-conditioned home for you. He got up from death, hell, and the grave on Sunday morning for you, and you can't get up for him? Okay, you want to see demons come out of my ears? Then say this next one to me. I don't have to attend church to be a Christian. Whoa! Somebody needs to call Ghostbusters right now. <clears throat> Is it? That wasn't funny. I'm being serious. Take that wax with you. I don't have to attend church to be a Christian. Okay, when somebody says this to me, let me tell you what I say to them. After I pick myself up off the floor, I say this. Show me one place in the entire Bible where it says that you can live independently of the church and worship individually and not corporately. Show me one place in the entire Bible where it says God's okay with you doing that. You can't find it. In fact... Two-thirds of the entire New Testament 
wasn't just written to Christians. It was written to Christians who were members of local churches. Everybody say members. Members of local churches. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Let's look at some scriptures. It says the body of Christ has many parts. All the members form that one body. Everybody say body. Body. Members. Members. Psalms 133, verse 2. This is a type and shadow of the church in unity under the direction of a pastor. It says the anointing oil, which is the blessing of the Holy Spirit, poured on Aaron's head, the high priest, ran down to consecrate the whole body for there. the Wait, for where? For there the Lord has commanded a blessing. Man, if I knew that God of the universe commanded a blessing over here, and I'm over here making excuses, how sad would that be? All i got to do is get my butt up and go over here where the commanded blessing is at. Ephesians 4.16, from Christ the whole body, the church and all its parts is closely joined and held together. So here is my question to you today. Can a person be a Christian without being a member of a church? Can a person be a Christian, biblically, and just attend church and not be a member of a church? Yes or no? Actually, they can. I'm going to show you one of those today. This is my friend, Thing. Anybody ever seen the Adams Family? My friend, Thing. This is my friend, Thing. So, Thing, Thing is a piece of the body. He's just not a part of the body. He's a piece of it, just not a part of it. Thing wants to play the guitar in church, but he can't. Because he's not connected to the rest of the body. He wants to serve communion biblically. But he can't because he's not a part of the rest of the body. He wants to high five and encourage and shake hands and pray for people. and lay, But he can't because he's not a member of the rest of the body. In fact, I could show you biblically that demons are first after Christians who are not members of local churches. That's a sheep that's not part of the sheepfold. They show up every now and then to eat some of the grass. And they leave and do their own thing because they're not a part of the rest of the family. Gotta, let me just be honest with you. Man, I didn't say this in the first service, but I don't see how some of y'all can survive in your week without a church family. I just don't see how you can do it. I mean, I prayed for two people this past week at the hospital. Both of them are dying. They're going to be dead within a few days. Okay, One's got a church family and one doesn't. And here's what I'm thinking. Who's going to preach your funeral? Who's going to comfort your spouse when you die? Oh, my family will be there. Your family's going to fight over the $10 left in your spouse's wallet whenever they're in the grave. <laughs> Maybe you got a good family. I don't know. I'm just saying, who's going to bring you, your spouse food when your spouse doesn't even, they can't even eat, much less feel like even cooking anything? Who's going to come and comfort them? Who's going who's to celebrate when your children are born? Who's going to water baptize you and cheer and clap? Who's going to be there when you're in the hospital to pray for you? It's your church family. But when you get to heaven and, and Jesus says, listen, I got rewards that were waiting on you. I had so many rewards for you, but you, you, were just, you lived a selfish Christian life. It was all about you. I don't see how some of y'all make it. I just don't understand. Without a church family, what are you, who are you going to call when you want to rip your husband's head off of his neck and throw it down the toilet for some? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, you know? I mean, don't call your parents. Don't call your parents, because here's why your parents will think that your spouse is the devil and you're Jesus, and that we don't want you. When you have a fight, you call somebody that loves both of you equally, that has the same grace equally. You call your church family. 
You say, listen, I want to rip my husband's head off and shove it down the toilet. You call one of the ladies and they'll say, listen, let's just pray for him. Let's just, you'll get through it. And you will. You'll get through it. You will. You just want to encourage you. It's going to be okay. I promise it'll be okay. Let's just pray together. Who are you going to call? What are you going to do? One time in the Old Testament, there was a great famine. People were in dire need. And a famine is when you need something. You need, in this case, they needed food. You need relationships. You need friendships. You need wisdom. You need joy. You need something. You need. And so God told Elijah, I will supply your needs. Because he's the God that supplies our needs. 1 Kings 17.3, go to the brook. I've commanded the ravens to bring you food for a year, twice a day. They brought him provision. Here's what's so, so interesting. God said, I promise I'm going to provide for you everything you need. I'm your God. Your provision's right over here by the brook. Elijah said, well, God, I don't feel like getting up out of bed today. I passed by three other brooks, and I like them much better than this brook. God, it's going to rain. I don't feel like getting stuck in the rain. That's fine, Elijah. Stay where you're at. Your provision's here. It's up to you whether or not you're going to get there. Now, I would hate to think that God's providing favor, friendship, wisdom, joy, peace, financial blessings, and health for me over here. But my butt is stuck over here. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and two-thirds of the New Testament tell us this. The level to which you love Jesus Christ is equal to the level in which you love His body, His bride, the local church. It's awful to tell somebody, I love your face. Your face is glorious and beautiful, but your body's hideous. I don't want nothing to do with your body. How awful is that? God is the head. We are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. How mean would that be to tell somebody, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get out of your body what I want out of it, but that's it. I don't want to serve you. I don't want to take care of you. It's just about me. That's what Christians do whenever they love God but don't love the church. Um, I'm sorry if I'm a little bit, sometimes when I get passionate, I get a little bit mean. So I'm going to roll it back and close the service out. But um, there's a couple that comes to church here, and they drive all the way from Aner. I think it's like a 90-minute drive. And um, they probably pass by 100 churches within a one-mile square radius. On their way here. And uh, they come to church here because they know this is the place God's called them to be. Uh, what I love about this story is the couple, uh, Wesley, his mom, um, is, is Tanya and Wesley, his mom also loves the church here. She loves it. She watches online, listens to CDs, but she doesn't come because she goes to this it's a church, I think a little church out in the country. She picks up children and brings them to that church because they wouldn't go to church if not for her. She loves this church, but it's not her place of blessing. And I would never try to convince her otherwise. Of course, I'd love for her to be here. That's her place. you got to find your place of blessing, and everything in your life should be centered around that. I'll close with another story. Um, I was in the movies the other day, and this older couple was sitting next to me before the movie started. And um, we started talking, and they said, oh, you're a pastor? And I said, yeah. They said, well, we'd love to come visit your church. So I said this. I said, well, you don't have a church you already go to? Because I don't, I don't want to take somebody out of their church. If, if they have a church, God's called them to stay in that church. And um, they said, oh, we do, but we hate it. The pastor preaches way too long. The music's way too loud. The people are so rude. They don't talk to us. We don't like this. And they listed about 16 things they didn't like. Then they said, well, where's your church? I said, you know what? I don't think you're going to like our church. I don't think it's one for you. I'm the priest at the Catholic Church in Merle's Inlet. My name's John Paul. You can see why. You go to that church there. Just tell them John Paul sent you. 
you're going to get out of your church what you put into your church. There was a family that was coming from the west, traveling east. And they were looking for a new town to live in. And they were climbing these mountains and they looked down and in the valley there was a, a, a town. So as they began climbing down the mountain, they ran into this wise old man. And they said to the wise old man, tell us what this next town is like. He said, what, what was the town like in which you came from? They said it was awful. Full of liars and thieves. Greedy people. We had no friends. We didn't like anybody there. We couldn't wait to leave. The wise old man said, well, unfortunately, this next town is exactly like the town in which you came from. So they continued their journey. A few days later, another family traveling from the west to the east, same situation. Climbed up the mountaintop, saw a town down in the valley. We're starting to walk towards it, and the wise old man came out of a cave. They said to him, they said, tell us what this next town is like. He said, well, what was the town like in which you came? They said, we loved it. The people were so gracious. Nobody was in need or lack. Everybody gave. It was a wonderful family. We hated to leave. But we felt compelled to step out in faith and pioneer a new place as we grow our family. The wise old man said, this next town is exactly like the town in which you came from. This church will become what you put into it. I encourage you to treat these people like the Bible says brothers and sisters. It doesn't say aunts, uncles. It's not distant. It's very close relationships. I encourage you to forgive, to give, respect, serve as if Jesus Christ himself is here every single Sunday because he is. If God's called you here, do whatever it takes. Rain, sleet, hail, devil, spouse, I don't care. Don't get those two mixed up. Whatever it is, do whatever it takes to come to this place. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Do not avoid worshiping together as believers. Amen?